welcome to the Swamp Flicks Podcast. My name is Brandon Lede. And I'm Brittany Lombas. And we are recording in two separate locations in New Orleans, Louisiana. And this is the podcast version of the movie review website, Swamp Flicks. Yes. Maybe one of the last times we're recording in two separate locations uh, for now. That feels unreal. It feels unreal. Yeah. Yeah. The door is closing. I'm very excited. Maybe for old time's sake, we'll do all, we'll do it over Skype, uh, even when we're in the same room. <laughs> Just because we're caught in a groove from over the past year. I know. You're not going to um, have to do that, like, from, you know, different parts of New Orleans a bit um, anymore. <laughs> from different couches in the same living room. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, we're just, we're all vaxxed up and we're ready to do this thing. I'm almost there. I'm getting my second one this week. And then, you know, there's that two week buffer period after that. Yeah. Yeah. I got to sit on this anticipation for a minute, but we're almost through. And uh, we're recording this on the same night that uh, WrestleMania is airing on television. So we're interrupting another ritual that I usually be participating in. But we have a very important investigative report to file tonight. So I'm, I'm willing yes. to put childish games aside to do some real deep research and digging into cinema history. You know, this is like our job and we're putting our job <laughs> first. And sometimes you have to do it. Yeah. So quick about WrestleMania. It's all going to be virtual this year, obviously. And it, people seem to be very pissed off about it. And the fact that it's on Peacock and it's people are having a hard time getting on Peacock because it's kind of a hard app to use. It's not available like, you know, on Amazon Fire Stick and things like that. Do you know what's going on in the wrestling world? I think it's technically free to watch if you sign up for a seven day free trial. Okay. So, yes, the app is terrible. It's basically Tubi, but with terrible selection and even worse user interface. But, you know, it's free WrestleMania, which I can't be mad at it. Yeah. I've gone through more loops recently to not spend money on any movies if, that if I could possibly do it. So I've been driving to the library or like for our next movie of the month, I was explaining to you, I had to like sign up for <laughs> a Shout Factory package specifically on the Roku app. Like not the Roku like device but within that device there's a roku channel that has its oh own gosh. shout factory thing so i signed up for a free trial to watch next month's movie of the month selection and then cancel it afterwards and it was like a vhs quality youtube rip um and it's like <sighs> god the, the hoops you have to jump through to access oh, media it's ridiculous and it's just it, it keeps getting spread out more and more to where I literally have reminders on my phone where it's like the free trial of this is going to end. So cancel. You know what I mean? It becomes so insane. And I mean, before you know it, like if you really were to keep all these, you would have like 30 different apps. You'd be spending hundreds of dollars a month. <laughs> <laughs> it's like having another like rental home. I don't know. It's nuts. And no one likes to complain more than wrestling fans. So I could see like any of them having yeah. to do like 30 extra seconds of work, causing them to just like completely <laughs> like nuclear meltdown online. Well, have you been accessing any uh, convoluted internet apps to access movies in the past few weeks? Have you been watching anything? Yeah. <laughs> I watched the movie Sabrina. And it's not the one with Audrey Hepburn, like the classic. It's the one from 1995 with um, Harrison Ford, Julia Ormond, and Greg Kinnear. <laughs> you know, I was just watching Gossip Girl today because that's all I've been watching over the past few weeks. Mm. And Blair on that show, all of her dreams are Audrey Hepburn movies. 
Oh. And uh, the Sabrina dream was on an episode I watched today in season five. <gasps> oh, my <laughs> And I realized gosh. that I've actually never seen the Hepburn movie. I've only ever seen the Harrison Ford one. Well, I didn't. This is going to sound horrible. Like, part of me, I was watching the Harrison Ford one. I, I remember vividly that movie poster with, like, that nail salon-looking Sabrina silhouette and Harrison Ford in a tux kind of leaning in. And I never watched it. Um, and I pulled up Canopy, and it was on Canopy. And I'm like, you know what? Let me put this thing on. It's, like, surprisingly long. It's, like, over two hours, which is weird for, like, a 90s rom-com. And then I, I didn't know that it was a remake <laughs> of, an Audrey, <laughs> of an Audrey Hepburn movie. That's how trashy I am, okay? Like, I am <laughs> pure garbage. So I would like to see the Hepburn one. I liked it. It was so silly and cringy to watch because it's it's that like I don't know I feel like what Sabrina does is like what preteen Brittany and her girlfriends would like fantasize about and it's so silly. But basically Sabrina is the daughter of a chauffeur for this super rich family and she grows up kind of just watching them have their parties watching the you know the family's like hot younger son um you know swoon women at these fancy parties and all that good stuff and she's like kind of obsessed with him not like a gross way but kind of just like oh she's got like a a crush on him kind of way except she's like a grown woman (laughs) so it (laughs) comes off a little weird but he doesn't really see her you know what i mean it's just like oh that's like the chauffeur's daughter she's like kind of in the background whatever doesn't notice her well she goes off to paris and kind of like reinvents herself but it's not like in a cheeseball way like she doesn't go to paris and it's like oh my god they're gonna cut my hair and put makeup on me no like she's spends a lot of time there and it starts off where you know she finds this like passion for photography she kind of starts to let loose a little bit and kind of open herself to having friendships and relationships with other people and she does cut her hair and gets a little makeover when she arrives back in the u.s and once she's you know had her hair cut and put lipstick on then one of the brothers starts to notice her it's so silly it's a very Princess Diaries where it's like, oh my God, she straightened her hair. She's so hot. Is it uh She's All That where she like takes off her glasses and lets her hair down? It's like, oh my God. Takes her hair out of a ponytail and it's like, whoa, yeah. it's so stupid. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it's not that easy. That's not real. But yeah, so she, you know, she goes back and she kind of does what she wanted to do. Like she wanted to kind of win the affection of the hot younger playboy brother who's played by Greg Kinnear. And... It works, but the family doesn't like it because he's supposed to marry someone else That's and their families are going to come together um, and there's some sort of like business deal at play. So they don't want to fuck it up. So the older brother played by Harrison Ford, who's very like business minded, not a romantic person, not interested in relationships. He kind of tries to get her attention away and he ends up falling in love with her and then you know she ends up falling in love with him and then realizes that he was kind of making all of it up to like get her away from the other brother so he can marry 
this other woman. And then she's like, I, you know, oh my God, I can't trust you. And he's like, no, I really love you. You know, all that good stuff that we've seen a million times in, you know, rom-coms. But it was good. I liked it. I like the styling of everything. I love like those mid to early 90s rom-coms. And I think I just liked it for the vibe of that time period, <laughs> honestly. But it was a good movie. And I absolutely watched Garbage after this. I watched this movie on Netflix called What Lies Below. Have you heard about that, Brandon? Boomer actually recommended that on the last episode. <gasps> oh, my God. Yeah. It is. Oh, <laughs> it was a wild ride. I thought it was going to be a movie about like a mother's fiance being like a psychopath. And it kind of is, but it isn't. So in this movie, a mother picks up like her teenage daughter and her daughter's like, you know, on the cusp of like turning 18 and going to college, still a teenager. They drive out to like their like family lake house. And then when they drive up this like, you know, super um, muscular hottie is like coming out of the lake. And the, it's so funny because the camera, like, slow motion, like, it, it films some slow motion coming out the lake. And it loves to look at the happy trail <laughs> on this man. And it is so funny. Like, there's, I've seen this guy's happy trail more than his face in this movie. His other goatee. His other, the other goatee. So he comes out of the water and the daughter's like, oh, my God, like, you know, this guy's so hot. She's, you know, getting all, like you know, butterflies in her stomach, like, woo, my mom has a hot boyfriend, which is so, ins it's so lifetime. It's disgusting, right? And he's like a biologist and he's like studying stuff in the lake and she's interested in that type of stuff. Like she's into like archaeology, like they're science-minded people, so they kind of get along. And then he gets creepy. Like he starts kind of like winking at her, um, there's a weird part of the movie where he takes a taste of her period blood. It just gets weird. And she, the, the daughter starts to realize like this guy is like not okay. So I, I don't know if I want to spoil the twist. I don't know if Boomer kind of let you know where oh, he did. He went full spoilers. On, okay. On it. So I'm going to do that. Cause I can't, I just have to talk about it. It's crazy. Well, <laughs> it turns out that he's not like this. Um, sexual predator psychopath but he's like a fish man <laughs> he, <laughs> which was so funny to me i like whenever like that um comes to surface in the movie i was like dead i did not expect it to take this like bizarre sci-fi twist and it went there hardcore um full speed ahead to the fish man she looks out the window one night and there's like this glowing red orb coming from the lake and he just goes into it and, like, comes back out and she's like, what the fuck's going on? And then, like, she discovers that, you know, he is a fish man and he is trying to impregnate his mother with his fish baby. <laughs> I guess to make more fish men. So hot. <laughs> so hot. It's so funny, though, because, like, it reminded me a little bit of, God, what's that sexy fish guy movie that came out? Del Toro. Uh, the Shape of Water. Shape of Water, where you would, you know... It was like sexy fishman-esque, right? But the thing is, is they never show... And I, it's a low-budget movie, so I guess they didn't have the money. But, like, they only show his fishman feet whenever he's, like, in the lab. And, and they're pretty gross, but I'm like, what does the rest of his fish body uh, look like? And you never <laughs> find out. 
but it's so funny and i really think you would like it brandon because it is it is that trashy you know lifetime shit but like it goes hardcore sci-fi real fast and it is lots of fun and i really liked it i'm all for fish fucking sci-fi horror (laughs) (laughs) there were a few good ones a few years ago the lore (laughs) Remember oh, that? Oh my God! Yes, the musical. Cold skin. Great. Yeah, a bunch yeah. of good stuff. Oh, I, that'd be great if we could do like a um, fish fucking episode. I don't know. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Plenty to explore there. It's a lot. So yeah, those are like two two main things I've been watching. Um, so what about you? Any any good stuff you want to recommend? Talk about? I did watch something. I think relates to what we're talking about today because it had some like intrigue behind it. I watched a trashy movie as well. I watched something called The Demon Lover, also known as The Demon Master from 1977. Uh, not to be confused with My Demon Lover, which we did as a movie. Of the I month. was going to say. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> this is like a no budget, like just friends on the weekend making a movie in mid 70s Michigan. And it, it's just like this kind of standard satanic ritual kind of like horror movie with like no budget. There's like lengthy scenes of like. He's just these non-actors hanging around and like drinking beer and partying. And one of them just happens to be this like monstrous bear of a man with like waist length, like curly blonde, heavy metal hair. And he wears this big leather glove and takes karate classes. And uh, (laughs) I'm already obsessed with him. He throws knives. Like he's such like an eighties metalhead dude, bro. It's the, it's the mid seventies, but like, he's like, what you would expect if you pictured like satanic panic. He's so ahead of his time. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> and he also is really into these rituals where he's basically haunting his friends who aren't fully committed to his like Anton LaVey satanic lifestyle. <laughs> and he gets like revenge on them by summoning this like bull shaped demon. It's like this kind of like gorilla mask with like bull horns um, that, with glowing eyes. And it looks kind of cool for a movie on that budget level. It's like not a great film, but like as far as those like regional horror movies go, like kind of like the seventies version of like a Matt Farley movie, um, but not as funny. It's pretty good. It's pretty well made. And I was looking further into it and the guy who made the movie, well, first of all, the the metalhead dude who like throws knives and shit, uh, he uh, is kind of the co-director and like the producer of the film. Like, a lot of it that's like making him look so cool and that like Anton LaVey style is like just him paying money to star in a movie. But the co-director, the guy who's like mostly behind the camera was Donald G. Jackson, who went on to direct Hell Comes to Frogtown that we watched oh, on with, this show. Um, what's his face? That wrestler. Uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that movie's weird as shit. And we all liked it a lot. <laughs> I had a lot of fun watching it. It's a good movie. And I remember a few months ago, I was reading about Donald G. Jackson and Hell Comes to Frogtown in particular. And I went down this like Wikipedia rabbit hole where like one of the sequels to that movie, I think it's like the third one. If you look at its Wikipedia page, there's like a sub section for Zen filmmaking. And like Donald Jackson thought he invented this like new style of filmmaking called Zen And in Zen filmmaking, you have a vague outline of a script, but you don't write any dialogue and everything is improvised on the spot, which is ridiculous for like a monster movie. Like you're paying all this money for these special effects, even though like the frog costumes in those movies aren't like particularly expensive, but you know, (laughs) it's just not 
usual for a movie to be made on the fly like that. But he was like, oh, no, it's like a Zen thing. Like we're, we're establishing a new art form that's like very cerebral and not as like basic as most creature features. Um, so I thought that was weird. I mean, did you ever think that you would uncover any of that when you sat down to watch The Demon Lover? Well, it gets even weirder, though. Mm. I'm looking at his Wikipedia page as well, beyond the, like, Hell Comes to Frogtown movies. And it mentions that, you know, Demon Lover was his first film and, like, helped fund his later stuff. And there's also a behind-the-scene documentary about the making of The Demon Lover called The Demon Lover Diaries. (laughs) Oh, So I ended up finding it on YouTube. Uh, It's from 1980. It's called Demon Lover Diary. And it is absolutely insane. It is a lot like American Movie, which you and I watched together, where it's like a documentarian on the set of this like local no-budget horror film, but they're not like involved with the production, really. This woman named uh, Joel DeMott, her boyfriend was hired as the cinematographer for The Demon Lover. And he was the fifth cinematographer hired for the movie because Donald G. Jackson was already kind of doing Zen filmmaking. He just didn't make up a bullshit name for it yet. Like he was just filming sort of random scenes with like no real plan and just like delaying the production of this film. this like no budget horror film over and over and over again and just like frustrating every cinematographer who worked with him. So this couple moves from New York to Michigan to help this like filmmaker finish his his like debut and it's just constant hell so the girl Joel DeMott she's like filming a documentary on set and immediately Donald G. Jackson is just a huge asshole to her and like hates her guts and wants her to stop filming and they're all just like really condescending to her so they're actively angry at each other and like there are scenes in the movie where the girl is like filming Donald Jackson and he's filming her back with his own camera. And it's like, they're kind of like standing off in like a Western like duel and the production just is so tense and they have to live with Donald Jackson's mother because they can't afford to stay anywhere. He's like barely paying them anything. And the mother is like intensely religious and can't know that her son is making a movie about a demon or else she'll flip Double out. Movies. Oh. So like, they're under her roof under false pretenses and she's the only one that's nice to them at all the entire time they're in Michigan. And there's just other stories from the set, like the satanic ritual guy who's like funding the whole thing. Um, He like cut off two of his fingers for like insurance money to like fund the project at his job. And like Donald Jackson is like on sick leave at his own job while his like family is like near destitute and he's still not wrapping up this movie. It's just like stretching on forever. It's a crazy documentary. I can't believe it's not more well-known. Like, it's a really interesting piece about, like, film bro machismo among these, like, basically, like, dudes with, like, no real power or legs to stand on as, like, important auteurs. And they still abuse the little bit of, like, power they have as these filmmakers to, like, shit on this crew that they hire for basically peanuts and basically drive them away at the end of the movie. They're like running away from Donald Jackson across state lines, like afraid that he's like chasing them down to like physically hurt them. Wow. So I don't know right now. I I think you can only watch demon lover diary on these like bad YouTube rips or like on daily motion and stuff like that. Oh, I forgot about daily motion. That's bad. Yeah. That's like the lower dregs of the internet, (laughs) but I still think it's worth it, especially 
because like the actual demon, the actual like devil master demon lover movie that it's documenting is pretty decent for a seventies regional film. And then you watch this documentary about like how tense it was behind the scenes and like how the people who made it are absolute freaks. Uh, <laughs> it just adds a whole other layer to it. Um, and maybe you want to watch more documentaries from Joel DeMott. She's got a few actual like titles under her belt um, as a filmmaker in, in the seventies and they look pretty cool. So both of those get a big recommend for me, especially as a pair. I think like uh, it was an interesting um, rabbit hole to fall down. Wild. I love that. I love going down like a movie rabbit hole and actually finding stuff. That is our main mission today as well. Like, <laughs> yeah, we are investigating a very specific phenomenon that Brittany wanted to talk about. <laughs> yeah. And I think we've been putting this off for a couple of years. So this is a long time coming. Yeah. This is like something that I found when I was going through a movie wormhole on the Internet. So good transition. <laughs> and we're going to start with a mystery, but I think by the end of the episode, we'll have a definitive answer as to what's going on within it. Um, oh, hmm. okay. Maybe even sooner than the end of the episode. I don't know how long I can sit on this, but <laughs> we'll, we'll get into it. <laughs> and all that's coming up to you right, right now. now. Here is a power that frightens the deer in the forest, terrifies fearless dogs, a woman so intriguing that her face and figure fascinate every man. The woman whose warmth consumes. But the astounding she-monster is no more to be feared than beasts of our own underworld. A couple of years ago, we watched uh, The Honeymoon Killers for one of our movie of the months. And starring in The Honeymoon Killers is Shirley Stoller. And Shirley Stoller, other than being in The Honeymoon Killers, I just recognized her from Pee-wee's Playhouse. I I don't know what, what I did or how it happened, but I was just kind of, you know, going through all her filmographies on the internet. And I ended up on a discussion board where people, meaning like three people, <laughs> were discussing that there's this like urban movie myth. That Shirley Stoller, who played, you know, in The Honeymoon Killers, Pee-wee's Playhouse, that she was this actress named Shirley Kilpatrick. And Shirley Kilpatrick was like a pinup model, and she is probably best known as being the monster in the movie The Astounding She-Monster from the late 50s. So... There's a there was like a lot of back and forth on this discussion board where it's like they're the same person. Shirley changed her name to Shirley Stoller later on and started her the next step in her movie career as Shirley Stoller. And some people alluded that she changed her name to Shirley Stoller and started acting under that name because like she gained weight because like Shirley Stoller is you know like a, a larger woman. And Shirley Kilpatrick was like a pinup model. So it sounds silly, but it was like really thought provoking for me. And I'm like, that's weird. And then there's not that much out there on the internet. I mean, I'm sure if you like dig deeply and go into like different, you know, resources, you could probably find out more. But there's not a lot about Shirley Kilpatrick out there. There's more about Shirley Stoller. And when you look at both of these actresses, they have similar like facial features. So I brought this up to Brandon and 
I'm like, you know, the, I think it'd be cool for us to watch like a Shirley Kilpatrick credited movie and then a Shirley Stoller credited movie other than The Honeymoon Killers, which is, you know, we talked about that extensively for movie of the month. Like we watch these two movies and kind of figure out like, are they the same person? Like, you know, but just kind of by looking at like their acting style, their mannerisms, their facial features, like if if there's something that would allude to them being the same person or if they're different. So I thought, hey, maybe we can watch two movies, which we watched The Astounding She-Monster, which is credited as Shirley Kilpatrick. And then we also watched Seven Beauties, which is a Shirley Stoller movie. And hopefully we can kind of figure out if um, there's any life to this, you know, urban legend. I will say I did some internet deep diving and found a bunch of conflicting information and like half formed thoughts. Like if you go to Shirley Stoller's Wikipedia page, for instance, there's like a note on her thing, not on Shirley Kilpatrick's page, which I'm not even sure she has one. She uh, doesn't. Okay. <laughs> so I mean, that's why it's only on one spot, but it says something to the effect like, Oh yeah, this, there was a rumor that started in video watchdog, a magazine <laughs> that she was Shirley Kilpatrick as like an alias. And that's it. There's nothing following up that sentence. It just kind of hangs there. <laughs> and then when you click through to the source of that, uh, the guy just kind of speculates that it would be the same person because they look a lot alike. And that's like the basis of his entire argument. Yeah. And, and you know, you sent me this article that kind of mentions this issue and it basically says, like, hey, Shirley Kilpatrick married this dude in the 80s and she lives in Squim, Washington. And there's, like, a picture of her on the internet as an older woman, but she looks nothing like she did in The Astounding She-Monster. So then I'm like, is that her? That actually was inaccurate as well. Oh, and, my uh, God. I only know this because Cece actually went beyond the internet, believe it or not. And uh, found real public records. Thank God for her. For Shirley Kilpatrick. <laughs> um, through her like library resources. <laughs> oh my God. So we do have a definitive answer as to like what's going on here. But I think we should live in the ambiguity for a little minute. Oh my God. Because I don't know the true answer. I'm, I'm excited. Okay. Okay. This is good. I, I just think what's interesting though is like how this became an urban legend. Like the fact that you could just print anything um, <laughs> in the nineties um, and maybe even earlier. It's funny how someone, like you said, like someone just speculated it and it just blew up and became a thing, but like blew up on some very um, low radar places <laughs> that I found. It feels like such a relic of like early internet to me. Like it, like you said, you found this on an old message board and like, that's the exact kind of thing you would expect. Yeah. It's like pre Facebook. Like I remember like literally making accounts to go on like discussion boards and all these random ass websites, you know, that's not really something that happens anymore. And I kind of do see the connection though. Like their eyebrow, if nothing else, their like brow line is insanely similar they have the same like scowling look on their mm. face. You know what I'm saying? Like the resting bitch face. Did you look at um, Shirley Kilpatrick's pinup model photos? Yes. Yeah, scandalous. The ones where she's topless and wearing like leopard print pants and just sneering at the camera. It's like all attitude. It's very Shirley Stoller. Yeah. It looks a lot like her. Cause that's the thing about Shirley Stoller too, is like that woman serves some attitude 
in her roles. Especially in Honeymoon Killers. Yeah, sure. Honeymoon Killers, like, that is, like, her movie. Like, Seven Beauties, I mean, she serves attitude, but she's not, like, doesn't have, like, a Well, it is a big role, but not, like, the Honeymoon Killers. And I would say, too, Shirley Stoller had a lot of John Waters adjacent energy. Like, the Honeymoon Killers came out, um, I believe, when Multiple Maniacs was already out or, like, within the same year. So it's, he was already doing his thing, like, independent of her, and and Divine was already kind of, like, her full self by the time she was doing Multiple Maniacs. But the two of them share a similar sneer. And looking at those early pinup photos of Shirley Kilpatrick, she was kind of doing the same thing. Like, you know those scenes of um, Tracy Lords like, sneering in Crybaby? Yes. In the leopard print outfits? Yes. It's kind of the same energy. Like, it's got this kind of proto-punk kind of griminess to it. Yeah, which makes it seem like, are they the same person? And obviously, if they if they are or aren't, the Shirley's obviously have some divine influence. Like, and of course, I couldn't find anything that was, like, verbatim or super credible. But Shirley Kilpatrick in the Astounding She-Monster has, like, literally like divine eyebrows and apparently divine's makeup artist or uh, i can't think of his name it's something smith he was influenced by her look in that movie when he was like kind of trying to come up with like divine's makeup for like pink flamingos and female trouble and then it's just interesting like that the makeup influence came from this kilpatrick but like the attitude <laughs> is like shirley stoller the uh, article that said that Shirley Kilpatrick married in 84 and like changed her name inaccurately. Uh, <laughs> God. That one also mentions that Divine's real name in Flamingos Forever, the uh, screenplay that never oh, got produced. The unknown sequel, yeah. Is also Shirley, which is another fun wrinkle. And it was also like Ed Wood's like drag name. Yes. And Ed Wood actually plays a huge part in today's discussion. And <laughs> yeah. honestly, I have more Ed Wood conspiracy theories than I have Shirley conspiracy theories at this point. Oh my but, God. Um, <laughs> I do think that's a good time. Maybe we should just talk about the Astounding She-Monster as a movie yeah, for a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. The Astounding She-Monster is this film from 1958 and it's this extremely low budget film that was directed by Ronnie Ashcroft. And I don't know too much about Ronnie Ashcroft, but I did see that he um, was, was like an assistant director on night of the ghouls, which is that, you know, an Ed Wood movie. And apparently Ed Wood greatly influenced the astounding she monster. He was kind of like a consultant (laughs) for the film. Yeah. You got an official credit as a consultant. Yeah. Yeah. And um, this movie was released as a double feature in 58 with Roger Corman's The Saga of the Viking Women and their voyage to the waters of the Great Sea Serpent. <laughs> it's the longest movie title in the world, but I thought that was so funny. Now, the astounding She-Monster has one of the most like beautiful sci-fi movie posters that I've like ever seen. It's amazing. Yeah, it's like a woman kind of covering her face. Um, she's kind of wearing like a one piece. And has like, like long nails. Suit. 
Yeah, and there's just really explosive like 50s iconography in the background, like space-themed Ugh. futurism. It's great. It's great, but it does not reflect the movie at all <laughs> because this is like a cheapo movie. Like I think, yeah, they filmed it in four days and the budget was like $18,000. So it's very cheaply made. And the she monster in the movie is played by Miss Shirley Kilpatrick. So just to kind of talk about the movie, there is this rich Hollywood socialite named Margaret and she gets kidnapped by a bunch of gangsters. And as like, she's being kidnapped, the she monster played by Kilpatrick lands on earth. And while she's like walking through the woods in this like, face full of you know divine makeup silver skin tight (laughs) bodysuit as she's walking through the woods looking like that the gangsters are driving with their kidnapped socialite and they one of the, the well the guy who's driving sees her and swerves to avoid her and I thought that was so funny because I'm like, if this guy's like literally kidnapping one and he's like a real gangster, he would have just ran her ass over, you know, like, <laughs> I'm like, what a nice guy. So they swerve to avoid her. And then I guess like the car gets kind of messed up and they get out the car and they start walking in the woods and they find a cabin. Well, the cabin is owned by this geologist named Dick and they kind of take over his cabin and then like both he and Margaret are like their victims being kind of held hostage. And they're trying to figure out a way to like escape this criminal gang. And the gang just, they continue to like drink and argue and they're kind of like looking for their moment. And I mean, the she monster still out there. <laughs> she shows up and shows out and she basically, like, kills the gangsters with her touch because, like, I guess she exc- excretes, like, radium. And she kind of gives them all radium poisoning. After testing it out on various animals on her walk over oh, to God. the Oh, God. In- including a sweet dog. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, like, she basically kills with touch. And she's kind of indestructible. She's pretty amazing. Does she have any words in this movie? No. Um, every time you see her on screen, she's like, I guess they're trying to show that she's like, you know, kind of radiating stuff, but it it just blurs her. Yeah. It's almost like a waterfall effect. She like shimmers. I think it looks cool. Honestly, (laughs) it's it's very insane. And I don't know if you noticed Brandon, but she walks backwards a lot. (laughs) So the, the reason she is, is on the first day of filming, she bent over to grab something and like literally busted out that suit. So the whole back part is busted open. So she had to walk backwards a lot. So you couldn't see. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was so funny. I think there's a practical reason for that shimmering waterfall effect too. I think it's because the movie is titled also the naked invader, you know, like all those fifties, like drive-in movies all have like three different titles, depending on what market they were playing in. Yeah. Uh, so she's the naked invader. She's like this space alien that's supposed to look naked in that suit. Um, and it is like tight to her body and kind of flesh colored in, in black and white, at least. And that shimmering effect kind of obscures what would make it not look like skin. It kind of makes it look more naked to have her like slightly, slightly distorted. To me, when I saw it, it looked like she would be wearing like a silver, like LeMay suit. Yeah, She's a little shiny. Very, very, very shiny. 
And she's kind of like, it's funny because it, it covers her feet like a onesie. Yeah, <laughs> it goes all the way down. All the way down. But apparently not on the back. No. <laughs> it's like stapled together. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I, it's so interesting, though, because when she walks backwards, I think it makes her look more like alien-like. Yeah. You know, because at first I was like, oh, that's weird. But I guess it's just what aliens do. I mean, I don't know what they do. <laughs> So basically, all the gangsters die by her touch, and Dick, Dick the Dick, geologist, like, throws acid on her, and that's what kills her, and she, like, just disintegrates, but before she's, like, totally, like, disintegrated, he finds this, like, note on her, and it turns out that she was, like, sent to deliver this, like, peaceful message from this, like, intergalactic council but like human nature and fear is what killed her. And the ending is really cool because the film ends with this question of like, will they come back to avenge her murder? It's also a bullshit ending. Cause they're like, every time she killed, it was in self-defense. No, it which wasn't. is not true. She was just zapping anybody. <laughs> Anything <laughs> like she yeah. wasn't, she was just coming. And the thing is like, she was coming for him. Right. <laughs> like, and kind of smiling to herself. She was like very amused with the fact that she could just kill people by touching them. Oh, absolutely. So yeah, that's pretty much the astounding she monster. And I'll say I liked it. I thought it was going to be a boring movie because I normally don't watch like these like, you know, 1950s sci-fi movies because sometimes Ooh, they do. get boring. I'm curious to hear your uh, what you thought of this movie since this is kind of in your more in your wheelhouse. But I I liked it. What did you think of it? I don't think it's an exceptional example of the genre or anything, but I thought it was pretty fun. I, I like these like hour long double feature fillers. Like mm-hmm. it was obviously made to be packaged with a Roger Corman movie. That does not surprise me, especially since it's AIP mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, usually distributes his movies. The, what I th- most found fascinating about it besides Shirley Kilpatrick, like I like her performance as the monster. I think she's interesting enough to like carry the movie on her own. Um, even though she doesn't talk, <laughs> just like the the proto divine look of her, and she serves attitude the whole time, sneering at everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So besides that, though, like I was just fascinated by how much this felt like an Ed Wood movie. Um, even before reading the production stuff, it was just like, oh, this feels like a slightly less passionate version of like Plan Nine from Outer Space or <laughs> The Bride and the Monster. And, you know, reading up that Ed Wood was a consultant on the picture and, like, this has an, a lot of overlap with his usual crew, I honestly am convinced that he did a script write on this movie. That is my, Ooh. like, conspiracy theory for the day. Because immediately before any of that stuff is set up, there's, like, two very Ed Wood-style monologues from narrators. Two different narrators. <laughs> One of them starts in outer space, and it's, like, this really long-winded overwritten monologue about how the big bang was like sparked by alien nuclear war and like theorizing about how aliens could try to come to earth to stop us from having our own nukes so that we couldn't blow up their planets first. It's this really like unwieldy highfalutin monologue. And it feels like the kind of stuff that Ed Wood just like would write in a sweat in like two days. And wow. then after that, there's another monologue that's like overwritten about the main girl, like the society woman who's captured by the gangsters. And it goes right back into that Ed Wood like rambling. And I was just like, oh, okay, this just feels like his stuff. 
And then later when Shirley Kilpatrick is wandering around like the California mountainsides, uh, just <laughs> zapping all these animals, it's all stock footage of like, you know, deers and snakes and I think a bear and a dog. And, you know, there's like stock footage of the animal. And then when she interacts with it, it's like a little rubber prop that she just sort of like tosses to the side real quick. So the whole movie just like plays in Ed Wood's playground. I don't think it's as fun as his movies are that sort of delirious, like commitment to the bit is missing, but I'm just wired to find that stuff adorable. It's so funny how like we watched it to resolve a conspiracy, but another one was born. (laughs) I do like that. uh, Shirley Kilpatrick does not talk in this movie. I think that helps keep the urban legend alive. Right. So we can't compare their voices, just like their looks and vibes, which are very similar. Okay, do you want to hear, like, the resolution of the mystery part before we get into Shirley Stoller's life? Yes. Oh, my God, yes. Okay. So, Cece found on Ancestry.com a birth certificate, <laughs> oh a marriage certificate, and a death certificate for Shirley Kilpatrick. I believe when she married, she changed her name to Shirley Jean Settle, and she died in 1971. And Shirley Stoller continued to work well into the Mm -hmm. 80s. Right. Including Pee-wee's Playhouse, which you referenced earlier. So, I mean, that's pretty much seals it. Like, she was an actress (laughs) in the 50s. She got married and died in the 70s. So she didn't get married in the late 80s and lives in, like, Squim, Washington. That's a completely different person. I don't know. Like, where did that come from? I don't know. But there are official public records you can access on Ancestry.com. Shirley Kilpatrick getting married and then dying. (laughs) Like, it's pretty open and shut. Absolutely not the same person. Wow. I mean, I I figured that. But there was this little part of me that was like, ooh. You know, the part of me that's like, ooh, conspiracies are fun. Until they get dangerous. It's a fun urban legend. Yeah, I almost felt bad, like, getting that solid of an answer. But, um... (laughs) I know at the end, I thought you were going to say, it turns out they are the same person and they're alive today <laughs> under another name, you know, and they're about to join this Skype call. <laughs> Here she is. Oh, God. No, they're both dead. Unfortunately. I mean, uh-huh. Shirley Kilpatrick died in the seventies. Shirley Stoller died in the eighties. Oh my God. Well, I'm, I'm so glad Cece did that because oh, I'm sorry. Shirley Stoller died known. in 1999. Yeah. My, my yeah. But I think it is just a fun urban legend and it feels like a relic from an earlier time where you could get away with just saying whatever you want and there's like no one fact checking you. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Right. The world is whatever you want it to be. And yeah. (laughs) I will say Cece also looked at the revision history on the Wikipedia page um, where they've debated the claim in the background. Like people have made multiple edits about Like, whether or not to even include that, you know, one time someone said that Shirley Kilpatrick is actually Shirley Stoller. And basically, there's no follow-up sentence declaring it unlikely. Like, there should be something added to that Wikipedia description saying, like, she is dead. Could CC (laughs) add it? Like, isn't that how Wikipedia works? I think it has something to do with how to reference that. Like, you need Uh, a secondary source. uh, And I think because Ancestry.com is behind a paywall, that's not something you can just okay and expect oh to stay up i just feel like what she i mean this is huge this is huge maybe we should be cited i think uh <laughs> i think this, <laughs> so this investigative quick. report is so conclusive <laughs> wow but you know what i i also just appreciate the 
existence of that urban legend just because oh, it's, it's so fun it's fun but it also led me to the astounding she monster which i don't know if i would have seen otherwise and it's it's a fun movie yeah i wouldn't have watched that or uh seven beauties like honestly unless like you know unless we did this they did a, a an article on kathy bates a wonderful article four or five pages, headshot as big as the page, and so on. And I admire her immensely. But the article was uh, went on as if to imply that she was the first woman of any size to be accepted as a serious actress. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought, well, <laughs> that wasn't really so. I mean, uh, I didn't, as I put it in the first first uh, letter, a sentence of the letter, I said, whimsical as it may seem, I wouldn't like my tiny moment in history to go unacknowledged. I think part of the reason that Shirley Stoller is able to have like urban legends about her upcoming is that I think a lot of genre people like film nerds think of the honeymoon killers as like her one credit, like as if she was just like came out of nowhere in that movie. But if anything I learned today, it's that she worked a lot. Like Shirley Stoller was like a, employed actor for at least a couple decades Mm -hmm. and i think that's like part of a disservice of her career to say that you know she has this like mystery behind her because she was just like kind of this anomaly that just popped up in the honeymoon killers i I think she had like more of a public presence than that absolutely and i i thought that was kind of strange too because like everyone just credits her for like the honeymoon killers the honeymoon killers which is freaking amazing and she kills it in that movie but She's done a lot of other stuff, like not so much movie wise, but like she's done a lot of like television. And she started as like a stage actress. Yeah. I think in movies, she mostly popped up in small roles. Like I saw she was in Frankenhooker and I cannot picture her in that movie, even though I've seen it a few times. But yeah, I'm I'm like, oh, God, am I going to have to rewatch Frankenhooker to like get this image? You know, no one has to like, you know, pull me into doing that. I'll do that easily. So, yeah, like, you know, when I was kind of looking to figure out like what other film we should watch with Shirley Stoller in it um, since we've done The Honeymoon Killers. I saw that another big role she was in is this movie called Seven Beauties. This movie was just not what I expected. And it is like, if anything could ever link Seven Beauties to the astounding she monster, it's just this bizarre urban legend. (laughs) And and us, Swamp Flicks, we did the damn thing. Well, so Seven Beauties, just, you know, putting it on, like, the the cover of the movie just looked like it was going to be this, like, bizarre, funky Italian comedy. And when it starts, the moment it starts, you kind of get a feel for it, where there's all this World War II footage and, like, over the footage that's playing in the intro, there's just someone narrating and they keep going like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, whoa. So there's like this weird feeling you get where there's something kind of funny and absurd happening, but it's being pushed against something that is really serious and dark. And that's kind of how this movie goes. The director of this movie is, I'm going to butcher her name, but Lena Wurtschmuller. So... It sounds like she would be German, but she's not. She's an Italian director, just as a German-sounding last name. 
Um, so I thought it was interesting. You know, I'm like, oh, a female director, a female Italian director for a movie that has like this kind of content is is really cool. And I will I say what I liked about her as the director for this film is, I don't know. And I kind of like had to think, you know, about this myself where it's like, I feel like I, when I see like a female director, I always assume like, oh, like they're going to be telling a story through a female lens. And she really doesn't. And it's not her job to do that as a female director. She just like literally made a movie. Like she's just a woman who like made a movie. Yeah. You would think with a title like seven beauties, it would be, Almost like the Virgin Suicides or something. Like you'd be like immersed in like yeah. a world of like women, but it really is just about this one dude. <laughs> Idiot. So the main character of this movie, totally unlikable. And it's meant to be that way. So his name is like Pascalino. Now Pascalino is this like really pathetic turd of a man. He is in this, you know, Italian culture and he, at that time, and I don't know that much about, like, Italian history, but, like, picking up from this movie, you could tell that there was some kind of, like, this, like, Italian, like, macho belief that, like, the man of the family had to hold their family up into, like, being respectable and, like, living up to this certain, like, honor system. And he has, like, seven sisters, and kind of, like, the joke is, like, his sisters aren't the best-looking women, which I'm like, I thought they looked good. <laughs> um, you know, I'm like, whatever, they look great. So he's like just obsessed with his family's honor and like, you know, trying to keep his sisters on this like path. And one of his sisters gets involved in like the brothel life of Italy and it pisses him off so much. And he is like horrible, right? Like he treats her like shit. He's super abusive towards her horrific and she's just like a fun gal trying to live her best brothel life you know well he basically kills her pimp chops him up (laughs) and sends his body parts out in like three different suitcases to like three different places and immediately gets caught (laughs) immediately gets caught because he's an idiot and there's and you'll notice this pattern in the movie every time he tries to do something he like pathetically fails at it constantly like that (laughs) like like you said he immediately gets caught and the only way that he can really not go to jail and be prison you know probably be killed is if he like pleads insanity which he does and then he goes into like an insane asylum and he wants to like get out of it and the way that he gets out of the insane asylum is that they release him because he's volunteering to join the italian army and at this time i mean this is a world war ii movie and germany was allied with italy but he deserts the army and then he is captured and he's sent to a concentration camp and once he gets to that concentration camp he kind of plans to like escape or at least like move up in the ranks in some way by seducing a female commander and the female commander is Shirley Stoller and she is so good in this role she has like just that pure attitude that very strict straight face I just thought she was so good as this like Nazi female commander and he thinks like oh like all I have to do is kind of 
give her some compliments and, and seduce her a little bit because she's a woman and, you know, women just like fall for that kind of stuff. <laughs> she doesn't. She's basically like stripped down, have sex with me. Like she kind of flips it to be like, no, you're going to fuck me. And if you don't do a good job, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and he's like repulsed by her. He thinks she's disgusting, but he keeps saying that I'm in love with you. I know. And what's so interesting to me. And I, I don't know, I, I guess. And also like, as like a fat woman, I kind of like vibe with Shirley Stoller and all the reviews of this movie. And I guess in the movie itself too, it's like, she's supposed to be like this super fat, like disgusting person. And I'm like, she's really not that fat. (laughs) Right. I think there's like a huge difference too, between how she's presented here and how she's presented for the promos for honeymoon killers. Like her weight is kind of a punchline in honeymoon killers. But if you look at the, promo materials for it like they're all her in her underwear kind of doing like pin-up poses (laughs) right another shirley kilpatrick connection there yeah but she's like so proud in her underwear presenting her body she looks hot (laughs) it looks great like i love those photos so much yeah and in here she's wearing her underwear but it's not presented as sexy it's like you know Mama underwear too. <laughs> yeah, it's just wearing like basically boxers. boxers and like a undershirt. And it's all this like gross like off-white color. But she is playing a dominatrix more or less in that scene. Yeah, it's a very it's an interesting sex scene because the camera like doesn't shy away from anything. Like it doesn't just go, "Oh, they have sex and fl- flashes." It it like you watch it. And like she's like stripped down and she gets her little like whip she carries out and is like kind of peeking at his dick and she just kind of sits there looking bored and is like literally yawning while he's trying to have sex with her. Yeah. But he's in a concentration camp and severely malnourished. And he like, at this point he's like impotent. He just like, can't get it up. So she like throws him like a bowl with like some sauerkraut and sausage. And is like, you better eat and you better like be able to get it up or like you're going to die. So, yeah, I was kind of like disappointed by how gross the movie was making her come across too like i I didn't like that angle on her body like it was just a weird casting choice i thought but i I think the movie gives her a lot to do Mm -hmm. within her like small role oh yeah like she is one of if if not the like most memorable character from that movie and she delivers like the plot of the movie like yeah Oh, yeah. First of all, she calls him a disgusting macaroni, which is a funny insult coming from her, uh, even though she's a Nazi piece of shit. Right. And then she goes even further and, like, calls him a miserable creature and says he lacks in ideals and ideas, which is, like, a summation of that character. Like, he thinks he's the shit, and he thinks he's above everyone in his life. He thinks he's above the war he thinks he's above the law. <laughs> oh yeah, he thinks he's above the law. Everything. And he thinks he's above his like sister's need to prostitute themselves. Right. And what Shirley Stoller does in this movie as that Nazi officer is she turns him into a prostitute. And that's what he was like beating up his sisters for and like killing the pimp and all that stuff. So by the time he goes back home, like he is confronted with his own hypocrisy. Um and she is like the means of delivering that like character turn. And also to mention that, like, at this point in the movie, while all this is happening, we realize that he likes to rape people, too. And he's done so, like, multiple times. Yeah. And I think, like, her kind of doing that and, like, him at the end kind of, like, really, like, it all kind of hits him. And and that's how, like, the movie ends. Um, <laughs> It's bizarre. But, 
but basically after his sexual encounter with um Shirley Stoller, she is kind of like, okay, now you're in charge of like your bunk, like your group of people, like you're in charge and you have to pick six people to get killed by a firing squad. And if you don't and you refuse to, then y'all are all going to get killed. And he picks six people. And when he's picking six people, one of the older guys that are in the group is like, I volunteer. I'm done with this. And he ends up not picking him and picks just like six random guys who are all like super young. Like they're probably the youngest guys that are in that whole group. And that whenever he kind of um, calls out who he, who he picked, the older guy just looks at him with this like disappointment, like you fucking idiot. So, and then after that, he is also forced to like shoot his comrade in the head as well. And it's it's just, it's a very like aggressive ending. And that's kind of like how it ends, right? Like at the end, he's just kind of like, how do you go keep moving with your life after having all this on your shoulders? But this movie, and it could, it could be like that I'm not very familiar with Italian cinema. It is a comedy, but it's not like a comedy how we think of comedies. It's a feel-bad comedy. Yeah, exactly. It's not like a light, whimsical, like, tee-hee-hee. Like, there's stuff happening that you're like, whoa, it's comical, but it is dark. There are fart jokes, but they immediately follow, like, real Holocaust shit. Like, nothing ever feels good for very long. Even though he's kind of a broad caricature. He's a disgusting macaroni. Oh, totally. Totally. But I I liked how the movie kind of did that. Like, it's very thought-provoking. Like, there were times where I was like, oh, God, like, this guy is just, like, the definition of a fool. Even in, like, those, like, rape scenes, which obviously were, like, super difficult to watch. You're just like, what an idiot. Like, this guy is just, like, a piece of shit idiot that's, like going around like thinking he can do everything he wants but like like you know we were talking earlier like he he sucks at everything yeah it's definitely a movie about machismo and like about his like overconfidence right um, and by, by the end basically everything he thinks about his own superiority is basically like thrown back in his face and he's just got nothing left and i kind of feel like this movie explores how that like macho machismo crap weighs on both men and women how like you know he's just an idiot and he like thinks that he has to like live up to this bizarre standard and like all these like women are like suffering because of it it's just it was interesting yeah he exploits every woman in his path until he gets to the final boss which is this nazi officer who like turns it around on him oh my god yeah the the final boss for sure but yeah i mean i I did like the movie and I'm really kind of curious to see like what else is in Miss Wurtschmuller's filmography. What else she directed? I know the same actor who played the main guy, like was in most of her stuff around oh. this time. And he's good. I mean, he plays a horrific person, but he does it very well. That's the thing is like, there's not a lot of likable characters in this movie, but all of the, the actors do a good job. Like Shirley Stoller's horrible, right? But she's good at being horrible. He's horrible, but you know, he's good at being terrible too. I also just kind of wonder like why Lena Wermuller has been sort of forgotten. This one in particular, like it's her the first movie 
where a woman was nominated for best director at the Oscars. Yeah. I wish I would have read up more on her, but like the little bits and pieces that I kind of got is I think like she, she was not interested in being like, you know, I'm like a female director and I'm like a woman doing this kind of thing. Like she just wanted to be like, I'm a director. I just want to be recognized as a director. And that's a a lot of criticism about her films too, from a lot of like feminists. They're like, Oh, like her movies are too like uh, patriarchal and misogynistic. And she's not doing a good job as like a female director. So I don't know if that plays into like why she was not really prominent. I don't know, which I think is stupid. I'm like, it's not her responsibility to do that. Like she can just make movies and that's okay. They don't have to be about anything other than what she wants. And I think Catherine Bigelow, who, you know, eventually did become the first woman to win an Oscar for best director, like, and the only one to date somehow, which is an embarrassment on the Academy. That's not cool. Yeah. You know, she does get the exact same complaints all these decades later. Like, you know, your movies are too much about men (laughs) and not what we expect from your demographic, which is also bullshit. And that to me is misogynistic. Like, expecting women to only do certain types of things like no like she can make movies about dudes too (laughs) i totally agree but at the same time that means that i don't care about their work as much as i should because i don't really care about movies about men as much as movies about women (laughs) that's like a personal (laughs) bias personal thing right yeah it's not prescriptive like, I don't think they should be making one movie or the other. It's just I'm going to be less interested if it's like a war movie about this macho asshole. <laughs> but that's like just like taste. Like everyone's going to have different tastes. Yeah. Right. But there, it's like and I think like that's what people like have a hard time doing where it's like just because like that's what you enjoy watching doesn't mean that her work isn't worthy of anything. I like this movie because like. Sometimes I like to be put in an uncomfortable position. We talked about this. This one's very uncomfortable. And it's super uncomfortable. And I think it's because it's like, this is what it is. You know, sometimes like I don't want to watch a movie to be like, he gets what's coming for him. And like the women take away every, and the women kind of like lead the rest of it. Like, I just like kind of want like what it is for like what it is. And he does get his comeuppance in this movie. He's oh yeah, he exposed totally as does. a fraud and like brought to the lowest place possible. But it doesn't feel good. Like you feel worse after. Right. And it's like, and the same thing is like, I don't want to continue to hate this guy because he's in a concentration camp. Like there's yeah. literally, they're covered in like the ashes from like the burnt up dead bodies. So, but and I think that's like, the point of this movie it's like to kind of put you in that position where you're like oh my god like this horrible person is like getting what's been coming but it's in a concentration camp with a nazi you know (laughs) so it's like is that really like karma i don't know like it puts you in that very like like i said very uncomfortable position and to think about that I, I don't know i mean is that like common in italian cinema or like italian comedies <laughs> i mean when i think of italian movies i mostly think of that like 70s drive-in era like the giallo stuff and like the cop thrillers yes. and yeah that's spaghetti same. westerns that kind of thing i've never watched like fellini movies or you know anything i feel like i would like them because i love sophia loren i should watch some of her movies <laughs> <laughs> 
but yeah, this ha- this got me interested in Italian cinema beyond the horror movies. So I'm I'm kind of excited to go and see what else is kind of going on out there. And I gotta say, like, I my main in really was Shirley Stoller herself and like that performance, particularly like she's unrecognizable in this. Like, if I didn't know that was her, I don't know if I would have clocked her as the one from Honeymoon Killers. God, she looks like the Trunchable from Matilda. Well, what they did was they like bleached her eyebrows, right? So like, it makes her face this like blank canvas. Yeah, like, you could yeah. draw drag eyebrows above her brow line, and you wouldn't really notice the difference. When I think about Shirley Stoller, I think of like her like freckly face and you really can't see her freckles because like the way they put the makeup on her, it kind of like washes her like tone out. They've like erased all of her features, really. Yes. It feels like when we're doing drag makeup, you know, when you put that (laughs) base down and you like start from like scratch, you know, and then you rebuild your face. Yeah. It's like she never (laughs) went beyond that part of the makeup. She just glued down her brows and concealed them. Yep. (laughs) That's where she's at. (laughs) Which kind of adds to this whole, like, Kilpatrick Stoller mystery, I think. It's just the fact that Shirley Stoller, even though she was around a lot and acted and, like, was just regularly employed for decades, she still feels like this kind of, like, mystery figure. And I think that's a sign of a good actor, right? Like, that she can, like, disappear into different roles so that you don't even notice her and you feel like, oh, yeah, she was in that one movie. It's like, no, she was also in Pee-wee's Playhouse. Like, she was she was around. she was a big character in Pee-wee's Playhouse. Yeah. But yeah, I'm glad we finally got to do this. And just as, like, a nice little, like, two-movie episode. And I, I have, like, a more of an appreciation for um, Shirley Stoller and Miss Shirley Kilpatrick, who I didn't know existed. And she really did exist. She was a real person with a real career. <laughs> they both rule. Like, I'm just, I'm in love with these women. They're fantastic. We love our Shirley's over at Swamp Flicks. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll link in the show notes to our original conversation about the Honeymoon Killers. Because if you're going to watch one Shirley Stoller movie, that oh, should be it. It's so good. So good. But it, it was definitely cool to dive a little deeper here. And I wish, I don't know, I wish there was more like thorough preservation of her career, at least on her Wikipedia page, if nothing else. Like... Make it definitive. Like she did not emerge as like a you know shameful alias of a previous like pinup model. It's like, so sad. Like that's like I found that like Herbalage to be interesting, but then like when I started reading comments where it's like, oh, she gained weight and was ashamed of herself, so she like changed her name and then was like known as like a fat actress. And I'm like, what the f- Who people just of this? speculating on message boards, just making up anything. It's insane. <laughs> oh god, I love the internet. <laughs> and I watched um, this interview. If you search Shirley Stoller's name on YouTube, she was on this like New York City public access show. It's kind of like a sad bit. I don't know if I readily recommend it because they're kind of making fun of her a little bit. It's just kind of like vaudeville shtick they're doing. And she's like giving like real interview answers around this like just buffoonery. Um, But, you know, in that interview, she talks about this New York Times op-ed like letter that she wrote. Um, And it was after Kathy Bates got recognized, I believe, for misery. And someone in New York Times wrote about how she was like the first actress of size to be like famous um kathy bates god i'm so glad that we like progressed yeah <laughs> a society since then and shirley stoller wrote a letter though and it got published in new york times too it was just like well that's not true i did this in the 60s and the 70s and you know i don't want my 
history to be erased so readily. Like I'm still alive and still working. <laughs> I didn't die. That's so yeah. sad. And I mean, she did make waves in these two movies in Seven Beauties and Honeymoon Killers. And it kind of sucks that even in 2021, like her history is still kind of fading and being erased. And I don't know. She deserves better. Oh, for Surely real. Stole her rules. Well, uh, next week on the show, we are going to talk about The Secret of Nim, the <gasps> Don Bluth movie from the early 80s. Oh, God. Let me tell you something. After seeing that movie, like every time, like my chore when I was growing up was to cut the grass. And I was so scared I was going to kill a field mice family. Well, there were some super intelligent rats lurking in that grass, uh, keeping the mice alive. So yes. <laughs> hopefully they were protected. <laughs> there will be some behind the scenes shenanigans, I believe, between Don Bluth and Disney discussed in that episode. But um, probably nothing as outrageous as the urban legends we squashed today. Oh, God. <laughs> this is like a special investigative report from us. Uh, I know. I, I love this. Like, we should do more of this. Like, I'm sure th- <laughs> there's other, like, urban legends out there that Swamp Flicks can, like, put to rest. Just stomping out old message board bullshit from, like, two <laughs> decades ago. <laughs> God, we're, <laughs> we are doing the Lord's work. <laughs> we'll see y'all next week. All right. Bye. Bye, everybody. <laughs>